Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. Sometimes, true love has to be tough love, and sometimes the most loving thing to do is to turn away for a time. So it is with God and Israel. But there will be a surprising outcome, all of which is powerfully displayed in this sixth episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. The passage that is before us this evening, which is Hosea chapter 4, Hosea chapter 4, the chapter itself, Hosea 4, 1 through 19, is a summary, this chapter is, of conditions in the northern kingdom of Israel. You'll remember, of course, that Hosea was commissioned by God to be a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. That is the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. The period of his ministry, his prophetic ministry, is generally listed as 750 to 715 B.C. About a 35-year period of time, 750 to 715 B.C. And I would remind you that during that period of time, sort of midway in that period of time, the judgment from God, which Hosea prophesied would take place upon the northern kingdom, did in fact take place. It was in 722 B.C. Again, Hosea beginning his ministry 750 B.C., 722 B.C., when the armies of Assyria swept down on the northern kingdom and devastated the northern kingdom of Israel, essentially destroyed the northern kingdom, took control, um, took occupation, destroyed the capital city of Samaria, and it really was the judgment of God that had been prophesied by Hosea. But leading up to that, what we have here in Hosea chapter 4 is a summary of those conditions which God commanded Hosea to decry in the northern kingdom with the prediction of impending doom and judgment if they did not respond. The first 11 verses, Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 through 11, as we saw two weeks ago, is a, a summary of the conditions generally in the northern kingdom. But now this evening, as we look at Hosea chapter 4 verses 12 through 19, we have a summary of the conditions in the northern kingdom religiously. And these verses then specifically, verse 12 through verse 19, have to do with the religious practices of the Jews of the northern kingdom. Now, I would remind you of the backdrop against which all of this is set. And that is, Hosea was asked by God to have his family, Hosea's family, his wife Gomer, whom he loved, his three children, to have them really serve as a picture of 
the relationship between God and the Jewish people, especially the Jews of the northern kingdom. And so God told Hosea that the woman whom he loved and whom he wanted to marry and whom God told him to marry would break his heart, that Gomer, that woman, would be unfaithful to him, repeatedly unfaithful to him, and she would commit adultery again and again. And in fact, God told Hosea that the three children he and Gomer would have together should be given particular names, and each one of those names would really be an indication of what God would do to the northern kingdom of Israel because of her spiritual unfaithfulness to him. And so as we think about the religious practices of the northern kingdom of Israel, we know ahead of time that what we're going to see is a pattern of spiritual infidelity, spiritual unfaithfulness. And, and so that's exactly what we have as we look at it. And the first thing that we notice is that there was a nationwide, and I use the term in quotation marks, demon, figuratively speaking, perhaps literally in some ways, but mainly figuratively, there was a nationwide demon of spiritual adultery. And we, we see that reference in the second part of verse 12, Hosea chapter 4. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. A strong language, but it is a picture of the, the spiritual infidelity, the sexual promiscuity of the Jews of the northern kingdom as a picture of the spiritual infidelity of the Jews toward their God. A spirit of whoredom or, if you will, a demon of spiritual adultery, leading them astray, leading them to leave their God and faithfulness to their God and to follow after other gods as uh, a whore, uh, an adulteress, would follow after other men other than her husband. And so there is that spiritual adultery. And that spirit or that demon of spiritual adultery, led to a number of things. First of all, it led to some absurd religious practices. And they truly are absurd. Look at the first part of verse 12. My people, this is God speaking through Hosea, my people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. I think the first part of that is very clear. It refers to an idol that was carved out of wood by their own hands. And so they take a piece of wood, might be a nice piece of wood, but they take a piece of wood and they carve it and they shape an idol and then they worship that which they have made with their own hands, a piece of wood. And they offer sacrifice to that. Uh, they sacrifice, uh, my people uh, inquire of a piece of wood. They look for spiritual direction from that piece of wood. And then their walking staff gives them oracles. That's a little bit more technical. It refers to a practice that was common in the Canaanite uh, religions, and that was to actually take some sticks and to throw them up in the air 
And then depending upon how they landed on the ground, they would take direction from that. And so the question would be, should I or should I not buy that piece of land over there? I know, I'll ask my God. And so they take a pile of sticks, they throw them up in the air, and depending upon how the sticks land, it is their God telling them, yes, buy the piece of land, or don't buy the piece of land. We say, how stupid, how absurd. Well, there are some similar practices. You know that some people get direction from tea leaves in the bottom of a cup. But even more common than that, have you ever heard anyone say, make a statement, and then to say, well, I've been healthy so far, knock on wood. Okay, my people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles. Knock on wood. Now, you know the origin of that. And you've heard it, of course, that practice. The origin is that there are some tiny little um, gremlins in the wood. And you, if, if, you, if they hear you, if they hear what you're saying, they might decide to not allow you to get what you want. So you knock on wood so that they don't hear what you're saying. That's pretty absurd. Well, that is what was happening in the northern kingdom of Israel. But then in addition to that, this nationwide demon of spiritual adultery uh, was leading the Jews to a religion of convenience and comfort. A religion of convenience and comfort. Remember I told you that you're, you're going to find some things in the minor prophets that are incredibly relevant and incredibly contemporary. A religion of convenience and comfort. And you notice verse three, uh, 13, uh, Hosea 4.13, the first part. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. The description there is of the religious practice of offering sacrifices on the picturesque tops of mountains and to burn offerings on the hills under various kinds of trees and mainly because the shade of those trees is good. You don't want to, to do your religious practice and get sweaty at the same time. So it's a religion of convenience and comfort. Let me point out a couple of things there. And that is, it was the practice of the Canaanite culture to indeed set up religious shrines on the tops of mountains. Probably because it was a nice place to visit. It was breezy. You could look down and enjoy the scenery while you were worshiping, so-called. But also because there was the idea that if you're on the top of a mountain, you're closer to the, to the gods. And then burning offerings on the hills, the same idea. But under these three kinds of trees, oak, pop, poplar, terebinth, you probably wonder about that. It's, uh, it's a type of tree that is common in the Middle East. It's, uh, by the way, a relative of the pistachio tree, from which we get pistachio nuts. And also the terebinth tree is the source of turpentine. But it is a type of tree and those trees offer shade and they offer comfort. Now, I would point out to you uh, that 
in reality, it's not a surprise that the Jews of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, were looking for a religion that would be convenient and that would be comfortable. Because I would remind you of how false religion began in the northern kingdom hundreds of years before Hosea's day. And we read about that in 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'm going to read that for you. 1 Kings chapter 12, you have to go back several hundred years before Hosea's day, and you'll recall the setting here. You'll recall that uh, that Solomon has died, and uh, King Solomon, and the kingdom, this is the United Kingdom, before the kingdom divided, and so the kingdom was to pass uh, into the hands of Solomon's son. His name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, of course, did not take the counsel of his advisors, uh, who recommended that he ease up a little bit on the taxation of the Jews of Israel. But of course, he ignored the counsel of his advisors, and he laid even heavier taxes on the Jews during his reign. The result was there was a rebellion that was led by a man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam the first. And Jeroboam the first um, is, is mentioned here as the leader of the rebellion. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, and we read this, and in reality, the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom, the, the 10 tribes of Israel that lived, settled primarily in the northern part of Israel, followed after Jeroboam, leading, ju leading just two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, to remain faithful to Rehoboam in the southern kingdom. But 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt there, and went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if this people go up to do sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And so you, you see the reasoning of Jeroboam is, if my people who followed him in the rebellion, if my people of the northern kingdom have to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple in Jerusalem on a regular basis, they're going to be drawn back into the southern kingdom. They're going to be dr drawn back into loyalty to Rehoboam. And in that case, my goose is cooked. And so he comes up with a plan. And that plan has to do with religious practice. Verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, the people of the northern kingdom, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem, too hard, too wearying, too expensive, too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The gods, the two calves of gold that were made. And verse 29, he set the one calf of gold in Bethel, Bethel, and the other he put in Dan, all the way up in the far northern part of Israel. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house, and here it is, 
of high places. And those of us who have traveled to Israel have actually visited one of those high places in Dan, in the northern part of Israel, where these sacrifices were offered. He made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. You see, all the priests were supposed to be from the tribe of Levi. Uh, and so instead, and they were all down in, in Jerusalem serving in the temple. And so what Jeroboam did was he said, well, you don't have to be a Levite in order to be a priest. I'll make you a priest. It'll cost you $29.95 and you'll get a certificate to hang on your wall. He made priests, which were not of the sons of Levi, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar, so did he in Beit El. So he did it in Dan, and then in the center part of the country, he did it in Beit El, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made, and he placed in Beit El the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Beit El the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burned incense. Several hundred years later, is it any wonder that the Jews of the northern kingdom are drawn to a religion of convenience and comfort? Well, what we also note is that this demon of spiritual adultery that prevailed in the northern kingdom had devastating societal consequences. Look at the second part of verse 13. Because of this spiritual adultery, therefore your daughters play the whore. And your brides commit adultery. That, I believe, refers to the impact upon society of the spiritual infidelity of the Jews of the northern kingdom. For you see, whenever people do not raise their children in the ways of the Lord, what can we expect? if our children do not follow the Lord. Now, let me hasten to say, there are a lot of good and godly parents who raise their children in the ways of the Lord, and their children choose of their own accord to not follow. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about parents who are not faithful to the Lord, who do not walk with the Lord themselves, and do not train their children in the ways of the Lord, it's no surprise that their children choose to act out in spiritual rebellion and in other ways as well. So here, because of the spiritual infidelity of the Jews of the Northern Kingdom, verse 13, your daughters commit sexual immorality, play the whore, your brides commit adultery. One translation says your daughters-in-law is the translation for brides. And how sad is that to think of a parent whose son experiences the infidelity of his wife? And then here's the odd thing in verse 14, which at first sounds very strange, but not when we really consider its context. I will not punish, God says through Hosea, I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves, that is to say, their parents, the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes 
and the people without understanding shall come to ruin. So what God is saying here through Hosea is, I am not going to judge your daughters and your sons individually for their misconduct and misbehavior, because the fact of the matter is they're acting on what they've seen their parents do. The reference here to, by, by the way, of the men going aside with prostitutes and sacrifices with cult prostitutes is a reference to the religious practice among the Canaanites, and that was individuals actually going to a temple of that deity where there would be sexual involvement with cult prostitutes there in the temple. That is the extent of what was going on there. Now, the next point we want to see is this. Important. Though a prophet to the northern kingdom, as we've already said, Hosea was commissioned by God to be a prophet to the northern kingdom, but though a prophet to the northern kingdom, he does, in fact, in verse 15, exhort the southern kingdom. Those two tribes, Judah, the southern kingdom, to take heed. And he tells them, avoid the false religion of your relatives in the north. And if you do, you, the southern kingdom, will avoid their destiny of divine judgment. Look at verse 15. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. And then he says to Judah, the southern kingdom, enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Aven, and swear not as the Lord lives. Gilgal was one of the centers of false worship in Israel. The other, as we have already seen, was Bethel, or Beit-El. And that's what is referred to here as Beth-Aven. Why is it not called Bethel or Bethel? Well, it's a play on words. We've already seen that Bethel, because of the false god, the golden calf that Jeroboam set up there, as he did in Dan in the north, that already there was extensive false worship there. You have to remember that the meaning of the name Beit El is the house of God, the house of God. It is the place where Jacob, the patriarch, had his encounter with God, and it was called there because of that, the house of God. This is the place, Jacob said, where I met with God. That's the meaning of Beit El, Beit Aven is the house of iniquity. And so the name has been changed. It's not the house of God anymore. It became, by the, uh, the idolatrous practice of the Jews of the Northern Kingdom, it became the house of iniquity. And so the challenge to Judah is this. Don't go there to worship like your fellow Jews. And don't swear in one of those places, take an oath, as the Lord lives. It refers to the practice of mixing religion. So you have the Jews of the southern kingdom who might have been tempted to go to one of the places, Gilgal or Beit El, Beit Aven, and there to take an oath and to say, 
as Jehovah, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lives, I will do such and such. And there you are in a temple that is dedicated to the worship of another God. That's exactly what Hosea is talking about here. And then he goes on to describe the northern kingdom and what was going to happen to the northern kingdom. He says, verse 16, like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. It's an interesting picture. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. You get the picture of a young calf who's full of life and full of self-determination. And the farmer, the rancher, is trying to herd some of these heifers in a certain place. And he's pushing them along to where they ought to go, where he knows it would be good for them to be, and they're stiffening up their legs and saying, I don't want to go there. I want to go over there. That's the picture. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. God wanted to lead Israel in the direction that would be best for them. But like a stubborn heifer, their response was, no, 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 I don't want to go there. I want to do what I want to do. And then God asks this through Hosea. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture. It's a beautiful picture. A broad green pasture, grazing land, land for the lamb. God, in addition to wanting to be Israel's faithful husband of a faithful wife, wanted to be Israel's shepherd. Remember what David said? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down, where? In green pastures. The picture here is, can God lead you to broad pasture when you are stubborn and go your own way? Rhetorical question. The answer is no. Verse 17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. I pause here to point out to you that this name, Ephraim, is the name of one of the tribes of Israel, one of the tribes of the northern kingdom. It's actually the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. And it is used from this point onward to refer to the whole northern kingdom of Israel. And it's the first time that it appears here in Hosea 4.17. But from here on in, it appears 34 more times in the book of Hosea. So when God through Hosea says Ephraim, uh, he's actually saying northern kingdom of Israel. But then here it is, verse 17. Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, is joined to idols. And then it is as if God says to Hosea, leave them alone. I'm done with them. Leave them alone. They've made up their own minds. I'm going to let them be. I would suggest to you that spiritually the saddest words that can be spoken of any people are these words, leave him alone. Remember back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, leading up to the flood, the wickedness of the world, which caused God to destroy the world by a universal flood. God said back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, my spirit will not always strive with men. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, 28, in describing the depravity of mankind and people who choose to live a certain way repeatedly, even though it is contrary to God's law, we read in Romans 1, 24, 26, 28, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. The worst thing that can happen is for someone to no longer feel the tugging and the urging of God on his life. And yet that's the case here. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Verse 18, when their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. It's not a pretty picture, folks. It's the picture of a drunken bacchanalia. When you have individuals who are drinking and drinking and drinking, and when they're fully satisfied, they're fully drunk, they go out and commit, commit acts of whoredom. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. Proverbs says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When the rulers love shame, then the nation is in great trouble. Verse 19, a wind has wrapped them in its wings. It's like a tornado that is swirling around. And the northern kingdom is wrapped inside the tornado. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. I would point this out to you as we come to a conclusion. God has set aside national Israel. God has his chosen people for, for whom he has a purpose. God has set aside Israel for a period of national and universal disappointment and displacement. We're talking here about national Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, as a nation. God has set them aside for a period, not permanently, for a period. And during this time, there is national and universal disappointment and displacement. Look at verse 15. I will return again to my place. It's God saying, I'm done with you for now. I will return again unto my place. But notice the until. Until they call upon him. But they're calling upon him from the depth of their despair. And that's the second part of verse 15. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. And this is what they'll say at that time. From here we go to chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Come after this time of, of great suffering and despair. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us praise on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That's a picture of Israel calling out to their God from the depths of despair. And at that time, 
They will experience the blessings of reconciliation and restoration. But I call your attention to verse 2. After two days, in the future, Israel will save us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. When you read that, what do you think of? On the third day, he will raise us up. You think of the resurrection of Jesus, don't you? You see, Jesus was put to death on the cross. And he was taken down from the cross and buried. And his enemies said, there, that's it. That's the end of it. And sure enough, a day passed. And nothing happened. And another day passed and nothing happened. And at this point, it appeared obvious and apparent that nothing was going to happen. Jesus was dead and that's the end. And then came Sunday. And on the third day, he was raised up. It's a picture. It's a foreshadowing. In fact, I remind you that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, when the scribes and the Pharisees asked for a sign from him, that he was who he claimed to be, Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any more signs. Here's the sign. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the grave for three days. But then be raised up. When Jonah was swallowed by that big fish, you know the story. I'm sure that Jonah thought on day two, this is it. Uh, something's going to happen to me and it's not going to be pretty. And then all of a sudden on the third day, the big fish had a hiccup. And Jonah was spit up onto the shore alive and well. Maybe a little sh uh, shriveled, but alive and well nonetheless. And those are pictures of what God's plan is for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. In the future, it is going to appear as if they are dead permanently. And then in the midst of their adversity, they call out to God. And they are raised up as a nation, as a people. And God resumes his dealing with them and blesses them. Zechariah puts it this way in chapter 12. At that time in the future, when it appears as if all hope is lost, Jesus will appear from heaven, Revelation 19. And they, Israel, will look on him whom they have pierced. And they will mourn after him as one mourns after the death of an only child. Repentance that leads them to national conversion and reconciliation with their God and restoration to their beloved husband. And that's the story of a God who says to the nation of Israel, I love you truly. And that is his plan.
Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.